Hey, it's Aubrey Sampson here. And just like you, I have dealt with a lot of big feelings and heartache in my life. Mostly, I've written about lament and grief for a grown-up audience. But we all know, especially here at Nothing is Wasted, that adults do not have a monopoly on strong, difficult emotions. And so I have turned my attention to writing about big feelings for little ones with a brand new children's book called Big Feelings Days, a book about hard things, heavy emotions, and Jesus's love. We all know that children have a lot of emotions and feeling sad or angry or brokenhearted can be overwhelming. That's why it's so important to help the kids in our lives understand that their feelings are valuable and normal and that they can creatively express what they feel to Jesus, who created emotions and deeply cares about everyone. Big Feelings Days is a tender and engaging picture book that helps children ages three to seven learn how to release their feelings of grief, anger, and heartbreak in creative ways to our God who cares. This picture book includes full color illustrations and they are darling, relatable imagery to help children express and identify emotions and creative ways for children to process their feelings with Jesus. Even now, you can be helping your kids develop emotional health or your grandkids, or your nieces and nephews, those kids you love. You can help them begin to develop emotional health and emotional intelligence as they learn to come to Jesus with whatever they may be feeling. And a little secret between us, this book helps adults as well. You can pre-order it wherever it is you pre-order your book. It comes out on October 17th. If you go to navpress.com, you'll find the book for 20% off for our Nothing is Wasted listeners. You can also follow me at obsamp on Instagram for more information. Welcome to the Nothing is Wasted podcast, where we believe that no matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with Him to take back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts, Davy Blackburn and Aubrey Sampson. Well, hello. Welcome to the Nothing is Wasted podcast. My name is Davy Blackburn. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me again as a guest co-host, Teresa Glantz. Teresa, great to have Hi, you on. Hi, Davey. Fun, always fun to be here. I love it. Teresa, today we have a great conversation with Josh White. And uh, man, I was just enthralled in this conversation. It was incredibly insightful. He has a book called Stumbling Toward Eternity, Losing and Finding Ourselves in the Cross of Jesus. And um, he he's a, a, a speaker, a recording artist, a writer, and a founding and teaching pastor of a church. Talk about multi-talented. Wow. For sure. That's like the life that I, like when I was little, or what, I won't say little. I want to be a doctor when I was little. So that's that was not <laughs> accurate. But when I was called to ministry, that was the yeah. life I wanted. I'm like, what if I could be a speaker and a recording artist? And then just realized that music was not my, that was not going to be my forte uh, as much as I wanted to, as much as that was like, but I am so impressed with Josh and, you know, of course he's extremely gifted and talented, but his heart for the Lord and his, his depth of insight is incredible. Um, Mm -hmm. We're going to put some links on here where you can go and tune into more of his stuff, joshawhite.com and and his Instagram as well. But um, I want you, this is going to be such a great conversation. Afterwards, Teresa and I are going to come back on and we're going to pull some um, 
some nuggets out of that conversation. We're going to talk a little bit about those. But if you, if anything about this conversation or any of our resources, podcasts, pain to purpose course, mini courses, curated pathways, any of those things have impacted you, um, and you're like, I want to take a next step. How do I, how do I lean in a little bit more and figure out how to begin to partner with God to take back my story? I'd love to invite you to join me on the next live Zoom call that I'm doing called Five Steps to Taking Back Your Story. No matter what you've gone through, you can register for that at nothingiswasted.com slash start here. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash start here. We'll put a link in the show notes. We'll also drop it right here on the YouTube page. Um, but it's just a it's a live call for us to jump on. I'll share a little bit of my story, talk a little bit about the resources that we have available to you, and we'll give you five practical steps to taking back your story. So, um, Teresa, mm-hmm. we'll circle back after this interview, but... And I'm excited for our community to listen to this. You guys go ahead and lean in to my conversation with Josh White. Well, Josh, so great to have you on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Man, I'd love for you to tell me a little bit about yourself. You know, we've got... um, this book that you've released, it's called Stumbling Toward Eternity, Losing and Finding Ourselves in the Cross of Jesus. And it's this interweaving of your kind of memoir, part memoir, part theology, and which are things I love, right? Because I see God showing up and teaching us so much about who he is in our stories. And so I can't wait to dive into this. But just in case folks who are watching this, listening to this, aren't familiar with you, would you just uh, tell us a little bit about yourself now and what you do? And um, yeah, let's start there. Yeah, yeah. Uh... Well, my name's Josh White, and I am the lead pastor and founding pastor of a church in inner southeast Portland. Actually, we have two locations called Door of Hope um, that started 14 years ago. Um, my wife mm. and I planted in the very neighborhood where we met before we were believers in 1996 when I was a musician in Seattle. I played a show in Portland and met my lovely wife at the Satyricon, where Kurt Cobain met Courtney Taylor, and Classic. Uh, I was like in full. I was in Very full fitting. makeup. I was like a little glam rock. <laughs> I wanted to be Ziggy Stardust, uh, and uh, yeah, I fell in love. Um, and uh, we uh, we were married for two years before I came. I came to faith first mm. uh, in Seattle um, uh, back in '99. My wife two years after me, uh, and. Uh, it was pretty crazy because she'd only been a believer for six months before um, uh, we went into full-time ministry. I became a worship pastor at a mm. Calvary Chapel. So she was like a pastor's wife after being a believer for six months. That's kind of how <laughs> Calvary Chapel rolls. Uh, uh. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, um, I did music for a long time uh, before kind of discovering my teaching voice um, and uh, um, moved back to Portland in 2007 uh, and started Door of Hope in 2009. So it's been a it's been an amazing amazing journey. Um, you know, COVID Portland obviously was in the news a lot during um, COVID. Right. We're the whatever the whitest city in the U.S. <laughs> decided to be the most vocal about racial reconciliation, <laughs> which is quintessential Portland. <laughs> so, um, but uh, but you know, it's uh, it's been it's been an amazing journey. It was a really Right now, I feel like there's a kind of a new renaissance happening at the church. Like mm. most churches in the urban core were cut in half during COVID. Mm. Um, but I see right now just so many, you know, people hear all this, the horror stories of Portland, but 
um, the progressiveness of it has led to a truly post-Christian mm. place. And so people are weirdly in a post-Christian environment. Um, they don't have you know, the one benefit is they don't have the baggage um, that, uh, that um, people who have grown up in the church and have become right. kind of uh, almost immune to it. Um, mm. uh, they, I, I think door of hope there's a, there's a hunger and there's a lot of people that are just hurting. Mm. Um, and we're, we are a city that's plagued with fentanyl overdoses and homeless camps. And, wow. you know, we went from being the cleanest, most desirable city to live in in the 90s to where we are. I always wow. say, like, we were Portlandia. Now we're beyond Thunderdome. Um, <laughs> and so, um, but I, I think that it's also because of that, it's a wonderful place mm. to bring the gospel. That's right. That, you know, I almost left. Uh, many of my friends did. Uh, but then the Lord, like um, Jonah, just keeps vomiting me back mm. up on the shore of Portland. So I, I, I've got the hint and feel yep. called and, and, yep. and more focused than ever and, and wow. desiring to see a revival in the city. Wow. So, man, that's cool. You know, I, you, you, you intrigued me about something. I love that you use that term renaissance, that there's like this new renaissance that seems to be happening. Yeah. You have a really deep sense. As a minister, we talk about this with my leaders and folks on our team. Like, uh, there's a guy on our team that's our local church development director who helps churches launch our course. And he was a pastor for 38 years, coaches pastors, but he has been using the language reformation. You know, like it feels like, which both of those you know time periods coalesce mm -hmm. with each other back in history. And so it's interesting when you said Renaissance, I was I'm like I I think you probably have more thoughts on that, and I'd be really curious to hear your thoughts on that, because I do, I do agree with you. I think we are sitting in a really pivotal place in history right now, not just the history of our nation, but also the history, most importantly of the gospel and yeah. the narrative, the story arc, story arc of Jesus and what he wants to do with his church. And I'm just, yeah, I'm sure you have more thoughts on that, Josh. I just want to, yeah. I'm like, well, hold yeah. on. We weren't going to talk about that, but I want, I'd love for you to talk yeah. more about that. What are your what are your inclinations? I mean, not to sound, well, I don't want, you know, maybe prophetic or whatever, but yeah. what are you sensing? Well, uh, I'm a revivalist by, by nature. Um, and so I, you know, I, I started, I, it's funny people are like, are you charismatic, Dorf Hope a charismatic church? I'm like, well, I'm like, I don't totally know what you mean by that word. I mean, I kind of <laughs> do, but I would just say probably charismatic with a seatbelt. Um, yeah, yeah, that's probably um, good. That's a, yeah. that's a great way. <laughs> so, to, I mean, that's kind of how like, Paul I, said we should be yeah, charismatic, right? Yeah, Let's be yeah. charismatic with a seatbelt. I'm great. like, I'm like it, it, the Holy Spirit is anything. He's a missionary spirit mm. and pointing the world to Jesus. And so mm. I'm all for, I'm not a cessationist. Um, and I, you right. know, so I, I did have this one crazy thing happen before I started the church and I, I basically had this dream, and I'm not not a guy that's like had lots yeah. of dreams, so I'm even embarrassed to kind of say it. But uh, I would in the, it was a midday. I was like I took this nap, and it was like right before I left the church I was working at to start. I mean, mm. I kind of stepped out in faith and started Door of Hope, not even knowing. No church assessment. We didn't know what was going to. We thought it was going to be a little house church, and we didn't have any idea that God was. I mean, that it was going to be blessed and mm. be actually explosive and stressful in different ways. Um, but. Uh, the, the dream I had was like, there was, I was on the end of Hawthorne um, and Hawthorne is this main street in Southeast Portland, kind of the Bohemian center of Portland, mm -hmm. but the end of the road is Western Seminary. Um, and it sits on this mountain called Mount Tabor. Mm -hmm. um, it's like a dormant volcano. Um, and it, it, 
there's a mansion there and it um that western seminary is like their offices it's like this mansion it used to be like a big kind of like the main house on taper and it looks all the way down the city and in my dream there was like thousands and thousands of people on the street of hawthorne gathered at the front lawn of the western seminary and there was a group of us pastors from a bunch of churches and and the crowd was so big that we were completely overwhelmed and we didn't know what we should do. Mm. And someone said, well, we should probably just preach the gospel. And we're like, okay. And then I woke up. Wow. What's crazy is I had never been to Western Seminary um, before. I knew that mansion was there. And I, I knew that the in the dream that it was like at the end of Hawthorne. But then when I started Door of Hope, like a month later, a, a guy from Western called me and said, hey, you probably don't have a church office. You should come. I've got this extra office um, at Western. So I went there and it was in the mansion and it, I, I went into the office and it was the exact view from the dream. And I just like, it weirded me out. Wow. Um, so uh, from that point on, I'm like, I feel like the Lord's telling me that he wants to bring a revival to the city. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I don't believe Jesus saves. I used to be far more idealistic about cities. Mm. Um, I think that cities are always a picture um, of Babel. It's, they're always places where, where people go to make lives for themselves without God, to show what they can build without God. Mm. Um, and someone says, well, what about Nineveh? I'm like, well, where's Nineveh now? I think mm. what the Lord does is he saves people and there can be movements in cities. And he does seem to pick places that seem like the least likely to yeah. experience revival. So I, and the, I feel like the last legitimate awakening we've had in our country uh, that actually went global um, was the Jesus movement. Right. And that happened in a place like Southern California, which was right. so carnal and so notorious for its drugs. And for, I mean, it was a it was a counterculture within a counterculture. Um, yeah. And so I think that that we're the right now there is a I think the reason that there's this sense this renaissance is that everything is culminated once again into um, a restlessness and a desire for something different. Mm in a desire. I think that there's an openness um, to the gospel. And it seems to me that revivals historically have come when it seems like the church is about to lose. Mm. Um, and uh, mm. <laughs> and so, mm. uh, so that, that sense, you know, that's, you know, uh, as uh, we were talking before we started this, um, I just was with um, a church historian, Jerry Sitzer. Um, and he was, he was saying, you know, the, Everything is on the demise right now. He goes, yeah. but the good news is that Christianity has no competition. Yes, <laughs> and so, yes. Um, and so that's why, like, I'm, a, I'm, you know, of course, I get heartbroken by the people that I personally baptized or married that walked away yeah. from their faith during COVID, and there was there was a lot because Dorp Hope experienced explosive growth with millennials, mm. like back in, you know, we went, we were the. You know, we went zero to a thousand people in less than three years, and mm. it was a you know it was exciting, but it was also overwhelming because numeric growth is only one one metric, you know, yeah. and and a kind of weak one at that. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. so right now, I feel like there's a desire to go deep, yeah, um, and there's a and there's a hunger to see people. We don't want church transfer growth; we want to see people get saved. That's and, right. Um, so, so yeah, there's a just a, I think that there's the more we can create a, um, a church experience that isn't built upon just simply one celebrity person right. talking at them for an hour, 
but creating a, a space where people are coming and expecting to meet with the living Christ mm. um, and the gospel and Jesus is actually lifted up and you're cross centric. I think, I don't think he was being hyperbolic when he said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all people to myself. I don't think all people are drawn to the same, same conclusion, <laughs> but right. I do think that all people should be drawn. <laughs> so, <laughs> man. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Thanks for taking that rabbit trail, man. That was, yeah, of course. Really, really rich and good. I think um, it's interesting that we, uh, you said that word restlessness and I just wrote that down because that's this, that's, I haven't been able to put a word to it, but that's the general sense I feel like as I'm having conversations with different pastors around the country, it's like, there's this desire on some level, this desire to go back to what was before, but also not wanting to go back to what was before. So it's like they say, oh, I just want to go back to what was before COVID but deep down inside, they're feeling a restlessness. To, they recognize, and we yeah. all recognize, something has shifted, something's different. I, I think that we've just went through what Hebrews refers to as, and he will shake everything that can be shakable. Uh, yeah. He'll shake away everything that can be shaken until only that which is unshakable remains. And I and yeah, we we don't, ne- you never want to go, you know, people always say like, like oh, we look at this, like the trans movement or these things, uh-huh. like I don't even know how to cope with this and, you know, the fact is, is that every generation has its own problems. That's right. Like, we're not going to go back to like, do we want to go back to the sixties to the Vietnam war or right. the world war two and Nazi Germany? Like, right. no, we don't want to go back to those things. Um, and every new move of God is just, is just uh, a return to the old move that moved away. Mm. <laughs> that's my, that's mm. my theory. I'm like, there's anytime there's like a fresh movement of God, it's just, it's just God moving I think the church back to its center. Wow. It's a, it's usually a correct. It's a divine corrective um, intervention because God's merciful. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, so much of what we've experienced to um, didn't reconcile with our. You know, we experienced a lot of either suppression of past suffering and trauma that was just never dealt with because of the American lifestyle, the Western Christianity of like health, wealth, and you know, as long as I'm following after God, then everything's going to be fine with me. And then now he turned everything upside down, right? Like what you're saying, kind of like what he told Peter, like Satan's asked me to sift you like wheat, which sifting is a suffering kind of thing. Yeah. That yeah. Takes, and so it brings to the surface all of the stuff that, that we're realizing, oh, this is, okay, something's not right here. This is where I've been placing my hope. These are my adaptive, adaptive coping mechanisms. These are my idols. This is, you know, and um, now everything's, we're disoriented. We're going, okay, well, where do we go back to in terms of getting our feet? I love that passage with Peter because it's like the two things you're like, the first encouraging thing is that, you know, uh, whatever Satan's allowed to do seems to still be ultimately in God's control. So that's good. And then he has to ask God for permission. That's kind of cool. Yeah. But then, then the rough part is that God says, yes. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's when you, it's the same thing with Job too. And you yeah. know, you have to wrestle with that. Like you legitimately yeah. can't gloss that over the fact that God yeah. did say, yes, I'm yeah. going to allow you yeah. to say I, I like to say that like there is no adequate theodicy. Mm. Uh, so it, 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 theodicy being an, a desire to theologically understand human suffering. I don't, I don't need to know why I suffer. I don't know why the serpent's in the garden. He's just there. Um, it, that doesn't actually matter to me. What matters is that God cares about it mm. and has done something about it. Mm. I don't need to know that 
I don't need to know why I suffer. I just need to know that there's a, there's an answer to the suffering. That's um, right. And so that I would say, God has a perfect plan. Um, but when we say God has a perfect plan for your life, I'm like, God has a perfect plan, but for you personally, it might be quite difficult. Yes. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> and his ability to weave the dissonant notes of existence into his redemptive purpose is the ultimate mm. aspect of, um, of the Christian faith that I find compelling. And I think, I think the biggest thing that's happened through COVID that's, um, that's forcing the church would, I want to see the church you know, recognize, especially in the West, is, you know, we still are struggling with a Puritan hangover. And we've been, mm. we've, been, um, we've been presenting to the world an ideal that we ourselves can't keep. And, mm. you know, and I think that what that's created is duplicity in the pulpit. It's why we keep losing these, like, major players in the, the Christian faith to, like, scandals. And it's because they're consistently presenting an ideal that isn't actually true. Like you can't come into the light of Jesus and not be exposed um, wow. as as a person of mixture. And I always say that the more, the closer we get to Jesus, the more we should see the the, the fundamental brokenness and impotence in our own lives yeah. without His Spirit. And it's like I want to see a radical vulnerability in the pulpit that just recognizes. Hey, listen, we're broken people. We're just beggars telling other beggars where to get some bread. Yep. You know, it's like, and so yeah. I. That's where I. I'm like, I think that there's a, a hunger for just an authenticity and an honesty about mm. the difficulty of life. Like, like the people, kids don't want to be lied to today, mm. and they can smell it a million miles away. That's right. Um, and so any any attempts to down, you can't downplay the challenges that we're confronted with as human beings in a city like Portland. Like, it's just, right. it's all around you. I mean, I've, right. I've had two people I found camping in my front yard in the last, like, month and a half, you know, and both of them women and both of them, you know, stuck on fentanyl. It's like, wow. You know, so it's a heartbreaking reality, um, and people are hurting. And so, you can, once you can't deny that, and that was the one good, one of the best things that happened in COVID is it actually reminded people that they actually really can die. Right. And the death rate does still wow. seem to be one per person. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's exactly right. As far as I can tell, <laughs> save save that of Elijah and Enoch. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like it, theirs is still coming somehow. Because yeah. I mean, if, if God didn't escape death, <laughs> that's right. I just feel like nobody else is going to get off that. That's one. right. Ooh. Well, there you go. You just made my transition very easy for me, right there, Josh. If God didn't yeah. escape death, I mean, this is what you have written quite a bit about in this book. Yeah stumbling yeah. toward eternity, losing and finding ourselves in the cross of Jesus. I'm really curious, first of all, how, I mean, you weave some of your story into the theology of the cross and mm -hmm. all of all of its implications or as much as you can touch within one book. Um, and tell me what was kind of the framework that you used for that? You know, it's very evident that you're, even as I sit here and have a conversation with you, you're, an, you're a creative, you're an artist. And so you um, know it was very thoughtful to go, okay, here's the, here's the cross and its theological implications. Here's my story. Here's how, how those intersect. Talk to me yeah. a little bit about that as you, as you wrote this. Yeah. Well, that was much harder than I expected. I'm grateful that my publisher stuck with me because I was like a year <laughs> late on turning in the manuscript. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm when seven I started, years late, yeah, so don't yeah. worry about when that. I, <laughs> when I started, I was basically just writing like a pure literary memoir. I, I mm. love literature and I really, I fell in love with literary memoir when I, um, I read this uh, 
like the biggest selling author in Norway, like hmm. um, since Ibsen is this guy, Carl Ove Nosgaard. And he wrote, uh, wrote uh, a five volume uh, memoir that's one came out each summer in English. Um, I think like one in like five Norwegians have read it. Um, but it, wow. he, he's, he's probably like, probably like, eight years older than me, but the memoir was so familiar to me. And he wrote so brutally honest about his own brokenness and his relationship with his dad. Mm. And I, and it's 5,000 words. So it's like the, you know, it's, it's massive. <laughs> it was like, wow. I mean, to read it all once would be, be like, like you're literally reading five tomes. Um, but, I, but I, I was really intrigued by his honesty. I was like, I was compelled. And I, I just saw it. It was the first time I really saw the power. It's when I really began to get super serious about reading, making sure I was always reading literature um, along with theology. Because I, mm. I, I realized literature is one of the best windows into just the human condition. That's right. That, yeah. Like what is, even if they're not followers of Jesus, they're still image bearers and they're still expressing the deepest longings of the human heart. Yep. And I feel like it helps us understand, you know, who, what we're trying to do when it comes to loving neighbor. Um, and so that inspired me to, um, I had, I started counseling because I, I came into faith, you know, in a time when the church would say, you know, uh, counseling isn't something that a Christian should need. You know, you just need the Holy Spirit and forgiveness. Um, <laughs> and uh, um, we've been on know, a crusade to try to, Push yeah. back on that one for a few yeah, years now. Yeah, uh, that's it's good. Um, and you know, and I bought into that really hard, like the idea that you know, forgetting what lies behind, pressing toward the goal. But you know, if you've been abused or you grew up in a broken family, family, or you never grew up with a dad like I did, or was you know continually bullied and felt invisible, and then you know you can't figure out why it's so important for you in, in your 20s that the whole world takes notice of you. Um, mm. Like you got to work through that. That stuff doesn't go anywhere. And then what's terrifying is it can get couched then in spiritual, like it can become spiritualized and right. Christianized in into a way where it's like, you know, my longing for approval of others is actually just my desire to be holy. Like, yeah. you know, we can justify it really bad behavior, but my, my skeletons in my closet caught up with me when I started door of hope and I mm. entered into the pressure cooker of a church that was exploding. And, and then I started to fragment, um, and, wow. you know, and I'd say like five years of the 14 years were pretty rough for me. Like the, just, um, all of the, these things from my past just kind of came back to haunt me with the plague. And then on top of that, I started to re reconcile with my father who was, a lifelong alcoholic and drug drug user, and so um, you know, I I went through my first season of crippling anxiety in like year three, and that was the first like kind mm. of the the Jenga tower collapsing. <laughs> it was mm. the Lord just showing me is like He was using me in in the midst of a, in time of serious anxiousness, mm. uh, and all these people are getting saved, but I'm dying in, on the vine. And it's like, right. that was the first terrifying thing is the realization that um, uh, God's use of a person doesn't necessarily mean that that person's okay. Mm. And uh, um, and so <laughs> I, I got into counseling, he couldn't get me to talk about my past. And so he said, hey, why don't you try just writing down some of your stories? <laughs> and so mm. I did. And I came back to him and he, he goes, read, read it to me. And then I finished and he goes, most helpful thing you've done is given me this story 
but I also just want to tell you, I think maybe you should consider being a writer. <laughs> and so, um, so that, wow. that was kind of, so I started writing stories down every yeah. time I would meet with him. And then, that was the birth of the book. Yeah. And then my, my editor got a hold of it. Um, uh, he's a friend of mine here. His name is Paul Pastor. He's a, also an author. And he, and he was the one that encouraged me. I'm like, I just want to go straight to Penguin with a memoir. And uh, um, he goes, you could do that, but you would be bypassing a lot of your audience since you're a pastor in, a, mm. in an influential church. And so um, he, it's because I also had a little book I was working on on the seven words from the cross. So that birth, this, he's like, you know, you've read Augustine's confessions. I'm like, yeah. And he's like, he was, I don't know many people that are doing that combination of memoir <laughs> and theological reflection. So the trick for me was learning I love how that you to just merge. that. Yeah. Oh, I'm literally starting a book study with a group oh, of dads like next week with this. This is great. It's a great book. I mean, I love that his is the way that he does is it's addressed all in prayer form, you know, it's, yeah. really, it's profound, but it, that was the ch most challenging when you're a pastor, you know, you use illustrations from your life as ways of illustrating theological points, but in writing, you can't do that without it being sentimental and heavy handed. Right. Um, and so it, like it, it ruins the pro, you don't want to tell a reader what they should get out of your story. Right. Right. So figuring out how to let the stories just be, that's good. Um, and create the theological reflection around it. Um, yep. Some, I, I think some people will probably read elements of it and they're like, like, I'm not totally sure how the story connects to the theological mm. point, but that's, I, I, I actually like that about it. I mean, in yeah. my mind, I kind of know how it does, but it's like, I want the reader to, and I think that the memoir creates, um, I think theology can get very abstract mm -hmm. and, you know, it's like trying to understand quantum mechanics or something. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's much easier to understand those things in the context of, right. a, hum, of a human narrative. Right. And, and so I, right. I wanted to show how, to me, it's like none of everything we say about the cross, it doesn't matter if it doesn't actually connect and and create change within life itself. Mm. And so one of the, and, and my thing is that the cross, the cross extends in all directions, like it, and at its center is a paradox. So it's, it extends to the heavens, it extends wow. to the depths of hell, um, wow. but it extends back in time and forward in time. Um, and, mm. and so we, we need to learn how to do is go, into our past, our present, and even create the hope for our future with the cross as the lens by which we look at existence. And so come going back into my stories, which began as just a therapeutic way of me just getting out there and dealing yep. with the fact that this kid, me, went through a lot of stuff. Yep. Um, and then, but then look, but being able to look at that narrative through the lens of the cross yep. removed me from being able to play the victim. Come on. Um, wow. And allowed, and allowed me to see grace for the people that I considered to be victimizers. Wow. Um, and so that, and, and cause I always said that Jesus died for the victim and the victimizer, and we will both play both roles in life and mm -hmm. often at the same time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, so that's right. I didn't want to like create this like, Oh, poor Josh. Like I wanted to like, okay, like my stepdad was hard, but he lost his dad in front of him when he was 11. Like right. there's reasons why right. these patterns play out. Sin plays out through generations. And, yep. you know, my dad is an alcoholic because his father was an alcoholic and his father was, and I'm the first one to break free from that pattern um, in six generations. <laughs> so, wow. um, so those are things that I, I think the ability to look at all those things instead of, instead of being this like sad, you know, I don't try to downplay hard, aspects yeah. and I don't try to justify bad 
behavior that was bad done on my part or anyone else's part in the story. But what I do try to do is look at all of it through grace. Hey friend, hope you're enjoying the podcast and these incredible stories of people who are walking through difficult challenges and traumas and finding hope on the other side of them. As many of our guests have shared, healing is a journey. And I want to take a moment to let you know about an incredible tool we offer here at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries to help you on your healing journey. Our Pain to Purpose course is truly the heart of what we do. It's a practical, life-changing, proven path to help you move from whatever trauma, tragedy, or trial you have faced in, in your life into a life of healing and purpose. But I don't want you to just take my word for it. Listen to what Michelle, a Pain to Purpose participant, shared about her experience with the course. I lost my daughter in November of 2018. She was married and had two young children, and it was just a terrible accident. I was definitely struggling with all the whys. The most beneficial part I found was the whole course, but um, that I needed to lean into my pain. I needed to process my pain, acknowledge it, because you had to feel it to go to process um, and come out on the other side. If you're ready to lean into your pain and come out on the other side like Michelle, I want to invite you to sign up now for the Pain to Purpose course by going to course.nothingiswasted.com. Again, that's course.nothingiswasted.com. Or if you're watching on YouTube, click the link right below. There you'll get access to all the course videos and everything you need to start moving from pain to purpose. Listen, pain, is an, it's inevitable. But you don't have to walk through it without the tools that can bring deeper healing. Let us guide you through whatever you're facing currently. Go to course.nothingiswasted.com. I think it's so important. I think it's it's pretty essential in our healing to be able to take our own story, step back and ha- gain some distance from it mm-hmm. and then look at it through the lens of the story arc of God and history and most importantly, the cross. Because exactly what you just said, it gives you the space enough to say, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to operate like the victim in this. Um, I had a writing coach who worked for Donald Miller at the time. And so she taught me the she taught me the story brand or what you know like the that whole storyline concept that Donald mm-hmm. Miller has now coined and yeah it was so helpful for me as i was trying to put together some pieces of my own story and i tell people this that she became my best therapist <laughs> cuz <Yeah, right. laughs> she forced me to gain distance from my story and what she said was Davey, i want you to i don't want you to be an object in your story i want you to be an observer of it Mm-hmm. And that will help you even what she didn't realize is she was giving me tools in life to make forward decisions because I started asking the question like, okay, well, if, if this character in this story is going to, as Donald Miller says it, win the day, right? If, if this character is going to transcend the circumstances, what kinds of decisions will that character have to make moving forward? Mm-hmm. And it's like, it removed me from all the minutia of, the emotions of it to be able to go, all right. And I felt a lot more sober minded and that, you know, then found out later that that's like the importance of trauma narrative and, you know, and so I love that you said that, that as you're walking through all of this, this became very therapeutic for you first and foremost. And then you're like, maybe I should let other people into this, have a window into what's going on. 
Yeah. And I, I felt that that was super important too. Cause I think that where I think where Christians can be, um, I think where we should be wise in terms of the limitations um, of therapy, if therapy is meant to turn your story into an end in and of, in and of itself. And so mm. I like the, within pop psychology and the self-help, you know, world, um, obviously there's a, there's a great appeal to that. And Christians are <laughs> not immune to, the, I think there's much right. within the Christian market that is like thinly disguised. Yes, self-help absolutely. And absolutely. so, you know, uh, we're not, we're not called to, to analyze our existence. We're called to examine ourselves. And, mm. I think, you know, Robert Murray McShane said, uh, the Scottish revivalist who died at like 27, uh, he he said, uh, for every one look you take into your own heart, take 10 looks to Jesus. And I think that that's wow. the, you know, you don't want to live, you don't want to live, uh, you know, with it. You know, the, the world would love us to spend our days navel gazing. And I think right. that the enemy wins when that happens. Um, that's right. But I, but I think the ability to look into our stories and not just even our, ourselves, but the, but all the players within the narrative and how yeah. they're all um, and look for, even in the darkest moments, what I call pinpoints of grace or intersections oh, of God's grace, which is, you know, I define grace as just simply love without contingency. Um, and, mm. and everything in our life is, you know, everything seems to be contingent. Um, but uh, like the God's, he He understands the beginning from the end in ways that we don't. And he mm. he's the life and death. And so I, you know, I love Dorothy Sayers' um, famous mm. line from Creator Chaos, which she says, you know, whatever game God is playing when it comes to human beings and their suffering, he has played fair and taken his own medicine. Mm. <laughs> and, and like, so wow. that's, that's, I've always found that very, very helpful. Wow. Have you ever read, um, uh, is it uh, Nicholas Wolterstorff's um, Lament for a Son? No. He's a, uh-huh. he's a Christian uh, theologian, philosopher. He, he lost his son in a um, climbing accident. Oh, it's the most goodness. beautiful book on loss I've ever read, and it, wow. it will make you weep. It is okay. not, it's very small, um, and you're glad it's not any longer because it's like yeah. that profound but that raw. And he said, he says, maybe, he goes, um, he goes, I will now look at the world through tears, but maybe looking at it through tears, um, I will see it in a new way, essentially. Mm. Um, and, you know, he said, the um, uh, I feel his, I feel his absence in everything mm. is one of the lines in that book. And it's like, his, and he said, don't, don't t- tell me about Christian hope. My hope has not gone anywhere, but that doesn't change. Wow. That there's still something missing. And, uh, um, and wow. I, I think that that's a profound and honest way. That's why I think the gospel, it doesn't try to remove our suffering, but it does try to, but it can transfigure it. Sure. Um, and, uh, I mean, obviously, your your testimony to that. This podcast is a testimony. Yeah, to that. that's it, right? You're looking. I love that that you're looking at at it through a different prism, through the yeah tears, right? And even just the image, the metaphor of that refracting light, and how it mm-hmm. changes the way that your your perspective on things is. It's what caused me to fall in love with my wife when I met her. She had lost her brother, who was her best friend, to oh. AIDS at 24 years old, and he physically died in her arms oh man and then she lost her grandfather to a massive heart attack the year before that and her best friend the year before that to cancer and it was like when i met her she wasn't a believer yet but she already had there was just a wisdom there was something so beautiful and compelling about her eyes and they just carried within them just 
the, you know, she's she tasted death and life. You know, there's a, I always say that if we don't taste death and life, we will not be prepared for life after death. Mm. And, wow. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a, I think it has the ability. Yes, it's true that grief can be a really selfish um a, a selfish companion um, if it isn't brought into the light of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think yeah. that it also is one of the things that can bring more beauty out of a person because it brings yep. depth and, and character. And th- those are things that can only be learned in the furnace. Wow. Wow. And so, you know, I'm, I'm really, I'm really curious, Josh, because you brought up the fact that like you dove into ministry uh, starting open door um, or door of hope. I'm sorry. Um, That's fine. And which I'm, I don't know how I confuse that because that's my wife's absolute favorite verse of all time is Hosea two fifteen. Oh yeah, that, yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, you will from the the valley of a core, you will bring a door of hope. But anyways, um, you started that, and that was it, you. I mean, I think you said earlier the pressure cooker of that is what really fragmented things, or at least exposed fragmentation mm-hmm. inside of your own soul. Yeah, and you know, we talk quite a bit about this kind of paradigm where God will take what you've gone through and he'll leverage that as you partner with him to help other people heal. Some people ask the question like, do I need to heal completely from everything that I've gone through in order to step into helping and serving others? And usually my response is like, no, you just start doing that. But I'm curious what your perspective is because it was, you know, in that, that now, did you feel like that that pressure cooker was necessary to bring that stuff to the forefront so you could deal with that? Or do you feel like looking back, you wish you had experienced more healing before stepping into pastoring? Yeah. I, you know, I know we're touching very close to like Providence and the sovereignty of God. And it's like, I don't know if yeah. you can re, but I just would, I'm curious about your experience with that and how you saw God use all of that to really shape where you are now. Yeah. Well, I, first of all, you know, I would speak to on, on the, the Providence side of things. I, I'm like, I'm not, you know, there's a lot of varying views on that. And I always think it's <laughs> dangerous to overly speculate on things that are, are should, you know, one thing we should take from our Catholic brothers and sisters is mystery, a little more seriousness. Yeah, that's good. Seriously, I think that, you know, remember that Reformation theology was birthed at the, the at the, beginning of enlightenment and so mm. yeah, uh, we we very much became creatures of enlightenment which was our attempt to understand and put everything yep. into a neat box you yep. know i'm very i'm pretty distrustful of systematic uh, uh, theology in general I, I i much prefer just historical creedal orthodoxy so good <laughs> so, <laughs> so good and you feel the pressure of that too i know like i feel it as a communicator especially someone who's communicating about suffering a lot you yeah. know as i go into yeah. there i just preached at a church this past Sunday and felt this pressure to try to give people a reason for suffering. Yeah, And I'm like, I've been yeah. doing this for years. I tell people all the time, there are so many things that it's just, there's no reason for it, right? You need something that transcends reason. Yeah. You need God no. with us, right? Like yeah. that's that's um, the mystery of this. It's like what you said earlier. Like he has, yeah. he's the answer to it. There may not be a reason, but he's the answer. Heath, I'll, I don't know why the serpent's there, but I'm just glad Jesus crushes his head. Like, yes, that's, yeah, it. that's, the, that's, that's it. The, that's what matters. But yeah, I think that um, that you know that whole concept of you know the God providence is, means that 
everything that happens is ordained or mm. some in the secret decrees of God. Uh, mm. Scripture never says that, and I think we should be very careful to make God responsible for our bad decisions, mm. uh, right. and uh, um, or to even hint at the possibility that He's responsible for sin. Mm. Uh, what I think is, I think the better the better way of thinking about it is that there is. I, I am fully reformed in my view that, um, you know, I did my part sinning and God did his part saving. Um, mm. And that there is an impotence in our ability to reach God in our own effort. And that, you know, it's, I, in the book I refer to it as the difference between ladder theology, which is I'll climb my way to right. heaven, versus a cross theology, which is the cross isn't something you climb, it's something you die on. Mm. Um, but, I, but I think that, you know, where um, theologians went haywire is that, Luther was right in that he looked at freedom in a purely vertical way. It's like man in sin cannot reach God. That, that's all he was concerned. He wasn't concerned with what we did horizontally. Mm. I think that came later, whereas all of a sudden now God is responsible for everything we do this way. Um, you know, And so all, and, and that just creates a, a determinism that is much more akin to atheism than it is to gospel. Wow. Um, and so I'm like, I think that God has given us limited freedom. Um, that there's freedom within parameters, especially as Christians. The more mm. Jesus said, he sets us free. If he sets us free, then the moment he sets us free leaves the possibility that we could misuse that freedom. Mm. Um, and so I think that as, as far as, I don't think that there's anything that could have prepared me for, you know, there's, there's heartbreak that comes when a ministry fails and it doesn't take off. And I've met many church planters that have come into Portland, 19 out of 20. Mm. Um, the majority that I've met over the years, and there have been many, many, um, uh, are gone within a year to two years of planting the church. And that has a, its own kind of heartbreak and discouragement to come. But but I don't think people understand that um, when we buy into the world's metrics of what success is, the you know, the, we're not prepared for the disappointment that whatever we thought was going to be the thing that brought ultimate satisfaction, like the success of a church ministry, and then it's it's not in that thing. And in fact, That's right. the opposite has come. Uh, the you know all these people are coming, and you're still not you're still not happy um, because you think that the gospel is about happiness, and it's not. Yeah. Uh, and so so yeah. I don't think that there is anything that could have prepared me for because I think what ultimately happened is that the 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 artistic temperament confronted with extremely fast like i was like the pied piper is very charismatic mm. and i really legitimately love jesus and i found that like someone legitimately loving jesus is pretty compelling yeah that's right <laughs> like it didn't, yeah, people didn't matter if I, it didn't matter if i had you know a phd and right. it's like or i hadn't even gone to college you know so it's like i didn't like so, I was kind of like the Pied Piper, but didn't totally know where I was taking anyone. <laughs> it's like Wesley says, "Set yourself on fire, and people will come for miles to watch yeah. you burn." You know? Yeah. The, the problem is, like, but you should know where you want to, what you want to burn toward. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, exactly. So I got into like they're all here and and they're all coming, and then I'm like, why am I f- this? What's what is going on? And it was I I started to believe one of the great lies that pastors can believe, which is if I'm not here, this thing won't happen. Mm. And so I started to carry things that God did not ask me to carry. And I don't think I could have learned that lesson without going through it. Like mm. that I that I was working out my own child brokenness in some way. You know, I was legitimately and honestly pointing people to Jesus, but there's still a part of that broken part 
side of me that is still also deeply wondering if people really like me. Right. <laughs> and, right. you know, and right. like all those people that hurt me when I was young, if they could see what's happening yeah. now, yeah. you know, it's like you, just, you have to work through all that baggage. And, and I don't think that, I don't even think therapy can, I think therapy was able to help me unpack it. Um, yeah, but it need I needed something to kind of bring. It's like the, an internal sickness that you know hadn't yet manifested externally, right. and so right. you needed I, symptoms I, to. Yeah, I needed I needed the furnace to actually bring out of me things that needed yeah. to be addressed, and so so I so I think and I think God in His mercy, you know, He is going to bless wherever His Son is lifted up, right? Right, and so um, regardless of the vehicle, that's why I was I. You know, I was deeply influenced by the holiness movement and the Keswick movement. Yeah. So guys like Tozer and Oswald Chambers, they were really influential. But one area where they were dead wrong mm. was that this idea that God will not use an unholy vehicle. Mm. I mean, like I think where they they couldn't have been more wrong because there is no such thing right. um, as a holy vehicle if they mean by that sinlessness. Yeah. And so what did Luther say? Jesus saved me from sin. Why didn't he save me from sinning? <laughs> yep. It's like yep. you know. That's a, I'm like I can't even get to church. I'll try to go to church to preach the gospel, and then I'll get mad and try to run a cyclist off the road, right. only to discover his bicycle in the rack when I get to church. And then you, what do you got to do? You got to you got to just own it and say, you know what? I tried to kill someone on the way here. I think it might be here, but I just want you to know Jesus loves you. Yeah, and don't yeah. ride in the middle of the road. I'll kill you. <laughs> and whoever that biker is, and <laughs> that oh, really man. didn't happen to me. It was terrible. <laughs> oh man, it's so true. I mean, I think that's such a an important point. I think that there, so much of our um, orientation can be around, especially like what you said, influenced by the Enlightenment, and can be around. How can I make sure that I'm prepared for every everything that yeah. might come oh. and you know, and sure, there can be a lot of altruistic motives within that. But at the end of the day, yeah. part of it is a hedging or a self-preservation that says, I don't want to experience hardship or suffering. And yet we yeah. know scripture tells us that it's only through suffering that ultimately will produce hope. Yeah. Right. Perseverance, but, character and hope. And that character part is what you're talking about, right? It's like yeah. really only the pressing of life, whether it's others inflicted or inflicted by ourselves or just like spiritual attack or brokenness of this world, whatever the reason is that we're experiencing that or the perpetrator of that, like that's really yeah. the only thing that drives us towards sanctification. Uh, what's Jesus' words? He says, you know, hey, I've said these things to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. He's like, peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Um, wow. uh, he, goes, he goes, but in this world, yep. <laughs> you will have tribulation. You're like, Wait, you just said you've come to give us peace. Yeah, and you're now, telling and me this so I have yeah. peace? Like, hold on. Yeah. That's... So he's like, I'm like, which one is it, Jesus, peace <laughs> or tribulation? And he's just like, yes. Yeah. And I would say that yeah. the, the picture is not the Monet painting of the boat floating in the placid lake. It's the Rembrandt painting. Mm. Uh, that's peace on the other side of eternity. The Rembrandt painting is the picture of peace on this side in the mm. age of grace, which is Jesus sleeping in a ship in the midst of a storm. Yeah. And, I'm, and that's where... You know, I, when people like just started abandoning Portland and moved to places like Sandpoint, Idaho, it's like, listen, wherever you go to, mm. sin is right there with you because <laughs> right. you're there. Where you go, <laughs> so, you go. Yeah. <laughs> you're there. So, I'm like, we're, we're, we're trying to escape something that is mm -hmm. inescapable. And it's like, and I don't think that the thin spaces, as the Celtic Christians called it, are the places of, you know, serene beauty. I think the thin spaces are the homeless camps. Because that's where, because they're going to be wow. the thin places wherever Jesus is, and I'm positive 
that if he came, he would lead us uh, in the flesh and he was to take us on a walk. He wouldn't lead us out into green pastures. He'd lead us into mm. into the, the center of heartbreak because it, peace in heaven is wherever Jesus is. Wow. He wants to bring his peace to a hurting world and he wow. wants to use us to do it. So I'm, so I have to, I have to escape that, you know, I embrace that. And, and, you know, my book, a lot of my book addresses heartbreak specifically through my relationship with my dad, yeah. who the closing chapter on the final statement from the cross, which is father into your hands, I commit my spirit, which is this word of comfort and rest and confidence that he had finished the work and that the father was with him. Like, a child getting ready to go to sleep or something. Um, you know, he doesn't, and none of the gospels say that he died. It just says that he, that he gave up his spirit, you yeah. know, and, uh, um, it, uh, and that commitment of his spirit to the father, you know, I experienced that final word through staring into my own father's eyes when he mm. took his last breath, you know, a year ago in February. And it, I watched my father suffocate to death and it was a terrible and heartbreaking thing. But, at the same time, his son was with him by his mm. side, and he opened his eyes right before he died, and I was able to stand above him and tell him that he was loved. And mm. I think that when my dad experienced, when I refused to look away, um, I discovered the peace of Jesus. Mm. And I think that my dad experienced not his son, but I think he experienced Jesus using me as a conduit to bring him home. Because my so dad got saved in 2020. Um, and, uh, you know, like the thief on the cross, not a lot of works, uh, not, not a lot accomplished. Uh, and he had a very primitive faith, but it was real. And, wow. uh, um, and, a, a, a beautiful thing that we can't say we have faith in Jesus, um, and, and not hold on to faith for those that seem beyond God's reach, um, wow. is what the cross has taught me and what walking through that with my dad has taught me wow. is that, that the two commands are interconnected love god and love your neighbor and your neighbors whoever's in front of you mm. behind you or next to you at any given moment in any given day and and these are people that jesus loves and that's yeah. why we're here <laughs> and so yeah um and my dad is if god can save my dad if he can save me i mean i am a pastor with a gold front tooth and a throat tattoo so i just sit outside of most cat <laughs> i was just on the 700 club it was so crazy i felt like anchorman um, but uh, I was like, I can't believe it. I don't think they saw a picture of me before they invited me on this show. <laughs> That's <laughs> pretty amazing. amazing. <laughs> it really was. Like, I was like, how uh, did I get here? <laughs> like, I'm like smiling at the woman. I just saw her staring at me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> did we get the right Josh White? It's a pretty common name. Maybe we should have yeah, research this a little more. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's amazing. Hey friends, I know some of you guys are listening to this because you're currently going through something difficult, but some of you guys are listening to this because these resources at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, these stories that you're hearing, they're providing you a lot of help as you're helping other people who are going through a difficult time. So let me ask you this. Do you have a friend or a loved one who has gone through a really difficult season of tragedy or trauma or major life transition? Has someone you cared about recently shared their struggles and pain with you? Did you wonder what you could do to help this person engage in their story and find deeper healing. We, we've all been there. It can, it can feel helpless to witness someone you love walking through a valley of suffering after loss or betrayal or divorce or some other set of circumstances that, that have left them reeling. You probably even thought, I wish there was more that I could do. Well, good news, there is. At Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, we offer an ever-growing expanse of resources for helping people navigate through 
pain of all kinds, but I want to share with you one resource that you may be able to help with right now as you're walking with a hurting friend or family member. Our free live five steps to taking back your story Zoom call with me will help point your hurting friend toward practical steps that they can take right now to move from pain into newfound healing and purpose. And listen, it's completely free. They'll have a chance after I spend some time teaching and sharing my own journey of pain to purpose. They'll have a chance to ask questions and engage with me. And as someone who has been in their shoes after trauma and tragedy has upended my life, um, I, I understand what it feels like. And so I want to invite them. Actually, I want to invite you to invite them to come be a part of this five steps to taking back your story, no matter what you've gone through. All they have to do is sign up at nothingiswasted.com slash start here. Again, nothingiswasted.com slash start here to make plans to join me for this next live call. You can even you can even offer to attend the Zoom call with them, whether you're doing it with them in person or virtually, but nothingiswasted.com slash start here is where you would want to register. It's hard to know how to best love and serve those around us who are hurting, but this is one way that you can practically help your friend in pain. Send them a text or an email today and invite them to join me for the next free live five steps to taking back your story Zoom call. Can't wait to see you guys there. You know, what's interesting, you brought that up, you know, uh, uh, your, your, your experience with your dad after, you know, the very end of his life and the end of your, your book. I'm really curious, something I wrestle with a whole lot, both theologically and, and pragmatically, just with my own story. I'm really curious, your, just your approach or your uh, perspective on forgiveness. And, you know, I've talked to a lot of people about it as I've wrestled through it in my own story, in my own life with this three men that broke into my home and, and murdered my wife and unborn baby and having to look them in the eyes and during the legal proceedings and um, offer the forgiveness of God. There's so much within all of that. That's, you know, it's not just this trite, like, Oh, I forgive you. And so I'm really curious how your journey within that, how you came to this place of going, because it sounds like all I'm hearing you talk about is love. And it was, it's really refreshing to hear that because to me, I'm like, well, when you, when you have the love of Jesus, like forgiveness becomes this byproduct of it. It's not like you, there's not a whole lot of having to strive toward it. Yeah. You know, it's like trying to reach or strive for, um, in some ways it's trying to reach or strive for sinlessness as opposed to, you know, the whole idea of like, let me just, let's just fall in love with Jesus more. And that kind of just, he takes care of a lot of that. Like my previous desires, my flesh that just starts to die away. And not that I'm not don't have sin, but you know, I'm curious about your perspective of that. You know, I like think, I think first of all, we need a better theology of sin. Uh, mm. we, we don't, we're not going to get a good theology of suffering, but we can get a great theology of sin. Yeah. Um, and I think that what we tend to define sin as the things that we do wrong. So the, right. men, that, the men that murdered, right. um, you know, or the, you know, the dad that abandons his children and chooses right. drugs and alcohol over his kids, um, you know, or the drunk driver that takes Jerry's family, you know, like right. all we, we, we have, you know, we have the, uh, um, we have the villains of our stories. Um, and, um, and so we tend to define sin by the actions. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's probably a, a pretty misguided, that sin is 
far more um, a measurement and not of how bad we are, but of how good we're not. Mm. Um, and mm. I think that it, and really well we actually, if we thought of it in terms of, um, you know, of, I heard a pastor once, a guy that I love that was used to be the dean of Cape and Ray say, you know, it's like if I miss the bus by five minutes and someone else misses it by 30 minutes, I don't turn to the person by five minutes and go, I only missed it by five. <laughs> we still you missed know? it. <laughs> yeah, we, Hamartia, both, we both there we go. Bus. We yeah. still missed the mark. <laughs> <laughs> and so the the picture of sin i like to just simply say sin is at its essence a rebellion against god's rule mm. um i will be my own god uh, mm. and um and a rejection of his grace and those mm. those two aspects and then the things that how sin manifests sins are the the outcome of a sin of that sin nature that that mm. uh, um and so i think when we when I see Jesus's words to his own disciples, because remember in the Sermon on the Mount, it says that when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he was seated, his disciples came to him and he began to teach them saying, people often get confused and think, well, the Sermon on the Mount was given to the crowd. I would argue the Sermon on the Mount was given to the disciples, but mm. the disciples gathered around Jesus um, by the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the yeah. crowd is gathered around the right, disciples right. because when God's people gather around Jesus, it, the world comes, takes notice. And yeah. so, but there's this one little passing line in seven that I think gives us so much insight into the, the question of forgiveness. He says, because which one of you um, uh, being uh, evil know how to, you know, would give a, uh, he goes, you being evil um, know how to give good gifts to your children. Right. He says, you being evil. Right. He's speaking to his disciples. Um, and I, I think that this shows that there are only two kinds of people in God's economy. And that's evil people that say yes to Jesus mm. and evil people that say no to Jesus. Wow. That's so it. There's no so other. Good. And so I use the illustration of Jeffrey Dahmer in the, yeah. um, in the book. And it's like, like, Oh, that guy, he would cannibalize young men to exert power over them. But he also seemed to have a legitimate conversion after he was mm. arrested, um, went to church every day met with the pastor daily um, actually never shirked justice. In fact, I think mm. he struggled with believing in grace um, because he demanded the death sentence. Um, yeah. he felt he, and he understood that there were, that, he, that, there, that sin can be forgiven, but that doesn't mean that forgiven sin doesn't still wreak Didn't havoc in our lives. Yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't, there's cause and effect. So right. someone, you know, it's like you, that you can't, we can't change. We can experience real forgiveness, but it doesn't change that there's still That's right. the consequence. You can forgive the That's right. the men who murdered your wife, but you and your and your baby. But you can't. But it doesn't change the fact that there are consequences. The That's loss right. is still real, and right. the and the consequences for them is still very real. Yeah. Um, and so I think that 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 picture of Dahmer ultimately, you know, I remember seeing a forum and Christians like, "There's no way that guy got saved because mm. of what he did," and I'm like. What, what are we talking about yeah, right now? How, does, like, he's a, how can God save a monster? I'm like, listen, in the light of the gospel, when we stand up next to Jesus, the distance between myself and a man like Dahmer is very, very, it's, it's, it's imperceptible. That's great. Um, wow. and, uh, and the fact is, is that the only kind of person Jesus dies for is monsters. Hmm. <laughs> and, you wow. know, and wolves can become sheep. Wow. Like if any thieves can be, he says, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life. Who's the, they it's the sheep. Yes. In the context, but on the cross next to him, it's the thief that becomes sheep. Mm. Um, and so I think that that's, you know, I, I think the more we understand the depths of our own brokenness, 
the more um, the more we're able to actually step into the world of forgiveness because That's forgiveness right. is is hinged upon grace and grace is love without contingency. My kids never asked me to forgive them mm. um, and they never needed to because grace forgiveness is the air you breathe when grace rules the home. Um, mm. and, uh, um, and the reason they didn't ask me for forgiveness is because they never thought my love was at stake. Mm. <laughs> so, and, you know, and the only time I would get sorry out of them is if I would say like, what do you say to your brother? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like that was, that was, that was it. But I also think, wow. you know, the reason our, our, we decided that our house is going to be at, like, you know, we're not, our kids are not going to be there. They are never going to question whether we, whether we love them. Yeah. Like, um, and they should never feel unsafe in that. And that's where I think the gospel, when I begin to see how much I've been forgiven mm. and that I haven't, that I have been forgiven in fullness, past, present, future has been dealt with in the cross. If I'm in Christ, all is forgiven. Yeah. And if all is forgiven, uh, then the reason I continue to ask for forgiveness is because now I'm I'm willing to come into the light to confess sin because I know that sin doesn't have the final say. Mm. But I also know that if I don't, if I try to hide what's already been forgiven, I hide God from my experience. Mm. And so that I think that the more I'm willing to come into the light with my own brokenness, the easier it is for me to to extend forgiveness to those that have hurt me. Wow. My dad never owned his abandonment of the family. In fact, wow. all the way to the year before he died. He called me once and I was like, I was asking him about something I was writing in the book. And he goes, Joshua, I'm never going to apologize for how I raised you. And I said, but dad, you literally didn't raise me. Like mom didn't even let me come see you. And he goes, he goes, bleep, bleep, bleep. He goes, when I call you, I want to feel better, not worse and hung up on me. (laughs) And I I just remember sitting there and be like, all right, Lord, Um, you know, he's just, it's like a little kid throwing a little tantrum right now. Yeah. And so I call him back and I was like, I'm like, dad, I love you. And he's like, I'm sorry, son. I'm just having a rough day. You know, it's mm. like, I'm like, I, I didn't have to let it, I didn't have to take it. That's personally. Right. I'm that's like, right. that has nothing to do with me. That yeah, has that's everything not, to do with him. All, wow. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, um, wow. and it doesn't mean that those things didn't like sting, but it, they don't yeah. have to have permanent, it doesn't have control of me. I mean, I like, wow. I, I'm like, because I know how much I've hurt people yeah, myself, yeah. Um, yeah. and 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 I don't try to gauge my sin against the sins of others. Wow! Because we're all rebels. <laughs> so good, man. So good. I love that you said it doesn't have to have control over me. I mean, that's this whole this whole conversation we've been talking around the idea of freedom. You know, yeah. yeah. And without, I mean, you've said you've mentioned it once, but really, that's what it is, right? It's like yeah. even in forgiveness, that's worth worth stepping into freedom because Free- freedom is fragile. Mm-hmm. and fragile you know our kids we set them free you know when my daughter was two i didn't let her go to the playground by herself when she was five i let her go with her brother mm-hmm. when she was seven i let her go with her friends and when she was 10 i let her go by herself and when she's wow. 15 i let her start driving when she's 16 you know i have to and every time i expanded her freedom i increased the risk and the possibility of her misusing it that's right um and and i think that that's if we understood that that very similar concepts play out as we, mm. God wants us to grow into maturity. Wow. Um, and that means that there are times where he even allows us to feel, you know, people get really overwhelmed by a sense of God's absence, especially when they're hurting. Mm. And I, I read a, um, uh, a poet, Christian Wyman, who said, um, we wouldn't, I wouldn't speak of God's absence if I hadn't known his presence. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Um, and wow. even that becomes a source of encouragement when we, as we grow into maturity. That's so good, man. Yeah. 
True. Josh, I, w- I wish we could sit here and talk about this for another hour, man. This is, thank you for stirring me up this morning. This is awesome. Um, yeah. Whew. Thank you for letting me go on all my, um, my rabbit trails. Oh my you goodness. Know, I'm so glad a- to. Yeah. ADHD is really just another, for me, I like to, you know, put a positive spin on it because I'm an optimist. It's just, I'm a lowbrow Renaissance man. That's right. That's all it is, man. You're, you're pontificating people toward freedom. That's what you're doing. So just stay anchored in Jesus. And then you can just, you know, all things can serve the main thing. I love it, man. I love it. Well, we'll make sure that we, I want everybody to pick up stumbling toward eternity, losing and finding ourselves in the cross of Jesus. We're going to put this in the show notes on all of your podcast platforms right here on the YouTube link. Josh, where can we follow more of what you're doing? I want to listen to your sermons, man. That's what I uh, came out of this. Yeah. I'm going, I'm going to start listening to Josh White's sermons. Where can uh, we follow you yeah. and what, what's going on? And yeah. So, um, so all my music, so I, I still, um, I, we have a record label called deeper well. And so, okay. I mean, I've released records record with josh garrels right i mean you can follow josh white on spotify and apple music and all that um and then um the door of hope is the name of the church and door of hope pdx.org is our website okay you can um, follow all the sermons you can find them on youtube um and um yeah if you go back to um if you guys are familiar with the bible project one of my Mm -hmm. best friends um dr tim Mackey. so he was a teaching pastor at door of hope when bible began so um you a lot of there was a, there were years about five six years um, that Tim and I did all the teaching fifty fifty so wow. all those series are available. I would say people come to Dorf up all the time because they knew Josh Garrels and they knew Tim Mackey. I'm very happy. <laughs> You're like um, surprise being, being the being the, the the friend in the shadows. I think that's great. the beautiful. I think it's a beautiful <laughs> thing about the movement of God. Right? It's yeah, like it's true. to be able to go. You know, he's going to build it on usually a collective of people. <laughs> In the, so in the my healthy elder, way. My elder said, hey, what are you going to do if Tim's a better teacher than you when we hire him? I'm like, I'm like, he's way better than you. That's why we're going <laughs> to hire him. <laughs> That's right. Man. I don't know anyone better. <laughs> no, I love that. I love that. I mean, this puts again like a, another kind of... Uh, inference to the start. It's a stark contrast to what we talked about earlier with this like yeah. cult of personality that the church has seen over the past two decades. Yeah. And like, we see the implosion of that and we see that that's yeah. not healthy and no. God's going to build his kingdom in a very unique way. That's upside down from this kind of the, the worldly kingdom that we, we just need we to, to be, follow. we just need to be, we need to let go of our shadow selves, let Jesus crucify them daily. And I don't need to be anything other than what God's, called me to be wow. and nothing more nothing less and and that's i love that he loves to use glitchy broken people like us uh, to expand his kingdom it's, it's awesome gift <laughs> so true so true well man thanks so much for spending time with us this has been unreal oh thanks for having me i really appreciate it well Teresa, what do you think about josh so good it was amazing really mm. good mm. You know, um, one of the things I thought was such a great picture was he he mentioned this. He was just kind of off the cuff. He said, mentioned pinpoints of grace. Mm-hmm. And it was really specifically in reference to, you know, when you get this just like cloud of, it feels like this cloud of grief or trauma or pain. And, and then you get all of a sudden this like, I think about you know how, is how dark something can be if you're mm-hmm. covered by, and then you get this little pinpoint, and the light just streams through, mm-hmm. and it it really brings a lot of light to it, you know. And, sure. and what a great concept to think about pinpoints of grace and how important these are. Yes, these moments where God gives us a glimpse yes. of 
what he's doing in our story, where he's at in our story, you know? Yeah. You know, when I heard that pinpoints of grace, I was thinking about in the trauma world, they would call those glimmers, right? So glimmers Mm. are the opposite of triggers. So when we get triggered, right, our environment, something happens in our environment that causes us our bodies to remember a trauma and we become triggered. We get in, yeah. we go into a triggered state. The opposite of that is that when we are doing something, we're in our environment and we feel safe and secure and calm in those moments, those are called glimmers. Mm. The problem is somebody who has had pervasive trauma or in the midst of what we would call a shock trauma, right? A big trauma. Mm. We miss those glimmers or those pinpoints of grace because we're so, um, the darkness has just taken over, right? And we can't see them. And sometimes we have to be really intentional about maybe journaling today. When did I feel safe and secure today? Mm. Emotionally, I'm talking about. It's not always physically safe, but emotionally safe. Mm. Um, Journaling them so that we start to become aware of them. And then we start to go, oh, I actually think that was God showing Mm. up for me, right? It's like you have to kind of journey through that. Maybe they're called glimmers. Maybe they're called pinpoints of grace. They're moments where we sense God's presence in a really deep way Mm. and our trauma can get in the way of that very often. We stay very focused on our trauma. Um, things feel really dark, and we don't always sense God. Yeah. And yeah. so being really intentional of being able to lean into those moments and kind of flexing that muscle. And eventually, we're like, okay, I saw today numerous times yeah. where God showed up for me even when it was really dark, even when things were really hard, God was still really intentional. So when he said that, I couldn't help but think about in my own training, the glimmers versus triggers um, and think, oh yeah, that's what the trauma world would call that, right? We would call that pinpoints of grace. I love that idea. Um, So yeah, it's just a great concept to think about. Yeah, I I just think about you know, when you just said, okay, be aware of the moments and the spaces that you feel um, safe. Mm-hmm. You know, really what we're talking about right there is peace. Yes. When we boil it all down, we're talking about peace. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting to me that Jesus came out and said, he said, I tell you these things so that you can have peace. Mm-hmm. And the next thing he says, he says, in, in this world, you will have trouble. Right. Right. And when I read that first, I'm like, why did you, okay, you just made me a little bit more, more unnerved, Jesus. Right. <laughs> like, right. you're, t- I don't see how you're giving me peace with this news right now. I thought that peacefulness would be, okay, life's going to be really easy for you. But that means that peace is tied to our circumstances. Right, right. And peace is actually something that is pervasive no yeah. matter what circumstances we're experiencing, no matter what chaos is surrounding us, it's finding that peace, safety, contentment in our heart. And it's all mm-hmm. anchored in the next thing Jesus says. He says, but take heart for I've overcome the world. The world. Absolutely. And it's so, when we think about peace, right? Peace is a state of regulation. Mm. We are regulated when we feel peace. That's that's really the sign of regulation is peace. And Jesus modeled that. I tell people all the time when we do training on the autonomic nervous system and how to stay regulated, Jesus was the model of that. Mm. 
We saw Jesus at times get upset, frustrated, or sad, but he didn't stay there. And it doesn't mean he was knocked out of regulation because when we're regulated, we manage our emotions, right? Yeah. We just, we can manage our emotions when we're in a regulated or a peaceful state. Right. And so pointing that to Jesus, we see it in the scriptures all the time where you and I read it and think if I was Jesus in that story, when they brought the adulterous woman and threw, the, threw her at his feet, that he would have gotten mad and started barking at them, right? But he didn't yeah. do that. He stayed regulated, which by the way, regulates people around you when you can stay regulated. So, wow. you know, so I think the idea of peace is um, Jesus is the beautiful picture of that. And so when we want to model that, we study Jesus yep. and go, what did he do in these situations? And understanding, A, we're not Jesus, and B, we will get dysregulated on occasion. And that's okay as long as we can get back to a regulated state and not stay dysregulated for long periods of time. Yeah, it's so good. Jesus went away to a quiet place, right. often, right. usually mm-hmm. early in the morning, mm-hmm. when he met with the Father, and that was that was a place of regulation for him, of peace. Yes. I love just thinking about the humanity of Jesus. I think we forget about that sometimes. I know. We're like, well, of course Jesus handled every situation perfectly because he was God. Uh, you know, he was fully God, fully man, but there are a lot of, you know, you have to dig a little bit deeper into some of these theological concepts, but there was a lot of places where he limited or was limited in some ways, chose to, as God, limit his own divinity. Right, right. To experience things as, as a man. Yes, and his ability to regulate a crowd is just fascinating. When you think about yeah. when Peter cut off the ear, right? He didn't yell, start barking, right? What he did is he right. kind of put the ear back and calmed the crowd. Like he didn't say everyone calm down, but that's pretty much what he said. Yeah. Everybody relax. It's okay. Yeah. Regulates the crowd. And I think Jesus is just the beautiful picture of what it means to be in a place of peace. We can do mm-hmm. that. We will get dysregulated on occasion. But, you know, I feel like the closer I am to Jesus, yes. the more likely I am to be able to manage my trauma and the things that happen to me in my life. My traumas aren't over. I still wow. have small traumas. I still have things that happen in my life, but I can manage them better. And part of that is from my knowledge. And the other part is that the closer I am to the hmm. one who gives us peace, right? The more likely I am to be able to manage that. So it's a huge part of healing. Our walk with the Lord matters a lot when we're walking through our trauma. Goodness, goodness. That is such a simple and profound truth. I think there are times, Teresa, that we like, we have all of, we have so much knowledge and information Mm -hmm. and I'm not, I'm certainly not trying to at all uh, dismiss the things that we're learning, the insights that we have about trauma and, you know, by any means. Right. But I am pointing us back to the person who created our bodies, who created our minds, right? who at the end of the day, all of these things that we're discovering, the scientific understanding of our nervous system and all that, he's the, he's the author and the perfecter yes. of all of those things. Yes. And so I think sometimes it's just, it's, it's very... Uh, I don't know. It's it's very satisfying to go back to the simplicity of that, of going, the closer I get to Jesus, the more I know him, the more confident I am that in any situation, 
he's going to bring peace. Right. And because right. of that, I can experience peace in any situation. Amen. Yes. And I, I just want I just want to sit with that for a second. You know what I mean? It's like, wow. I know. And it's hard to see sometimes when we've had a really fresh trauma in our life. Yeah. We if we've done no work, I mean, I'm an example of that. I had done no work on my own trauma, and then I had a, another trauma event, which just pulled the rug out from under me. Yeah. And so, um, but getting to the place of really learning and really doing the hard work of walking through trauma mm-hmm. and drawing near to the Lord, that I'm not saying that I'll handle any trauma well, but I bet I'll handle it a lot differently than I did before. Wow. Um, and I'm so grateful for that. Wow, wow. Well, listen, if you are trying to find peace in your own journey, if you're new to Nothing Is Wasted Ministries or you've been journeying with us for some time and you're like, I'm really, and I'm really drawn to what you guys are doing. Do you have any other resources that I could tap into? We would love to direct you to our five steps to taking back your story Zoom call. I conduct that a few times a month. Um, you can go to nothingiswasted.com slash start here if you want to find out and register for the next one of those. It is the best starting place for you. We're gonna. I'm going to talk a little bit about my story, my own pain to purpose journey. I'm going to talk a little bit about the resources that we have available to you. Uh, everywhere from our pain to purpose course to our Community Plus platform with all of our library of content to our certified coaches, which is what Teresa is very involved with. Uh, she's one of our certified coaches. She works with our certified coaches. And um, so we'd love to introduce you to that. We'd love to introduce you to our community and just give you some practical steps, five steps to taking back your story, no matter what you've gone through. You can go to nothingiswaste.com slash start here. Teresa, this has been incredible having you. Thank you. I've loved it. This has been awesome. Thank so, you. You know, I love Nothing Is Wasted. Love, love, um, love this ministry. I am, I'm for you guys. So I love being part of it. Well, we're for you. We're so excited about all the partnerships that we have an opportunity with that we've already been able to do with you. And we're excited about future opportunities that are coming down the pike. Uh, Teresa and I have even, I'll throw this out there. Teresa and I have talked about Teresa having a podcast as a part mm-hmm. of the Nothing Is Wasted Network oh, at yeah, some point. Yeah. So if you think that Teresa, which I think she should, <laughs> if you think that'd be something you want to listen to that digs a little bit even further into trauma-informed therapy, a lot more um, in-depth about all of that stuff, why don't you feed that back to us? Raise your hand. Tell us. <laughs> send us a comment. Send us an email. Be like, I want to hear more from Teresa. I want. <laughs> I think, uh, man, I think that would be an incredible thing. We got a lot of really big dreams, mm-hmm. a lot of fun things that we believe I that God it. is calling us to do. And so, but Teresa, it's just been great to have you as a part of this um, for these for last few episodes. Me. It's been awesome. If you want to follow Teresa, you can follow her on Instagram at Teresa Glance Coaching. Teresa, you have a website too, right? Where people can get connected with you? Yeah, TeresaGlance.com. TeresaGlance.com. We'll put those in the show notes and right here on the YouTube page. We want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing all the music for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. You can download or stream his music anywhere music can be downloaded and streamed. Be sure to follow us at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries on Instagram. Follow me at Davey Blackburn. Follow Aubrey at Obsamp. And um, if you feel led, we'd love for you to write a review on any pod, the pod, Apple podcast specifically, that platform. Subscribe to the YouTube channel so you don't miss any of the content that we put out there. And uh, by doing that, you help to get these stories into more and more people's feeds so that they can be impacted by them. Next week, we have a great conversation with Edward Grennan. He is the editor-in-chief for the the um, for Guideposts, the, the, I mean, massive uh, publication. And so he's got an inc- he's got a great story. I mean, just diving into what 
he's been through. So go ahead and take a, a listen to a little clip from my conversation with Edward Grennan. I just said, ah, you know, I'm an alcoholic and I'm drank because I, I drink. And I saw, I was in a detox mm-hmm. and I talked to a counselor who said, you know, this has to do with the pain you're feeling about your mother. It's not an excuse for your drinking, but we all have triggers that trigger bad behavior, even sinful behavior. Um, and I was denying that my mother's suffering was the trigger that it meant I, I was having trouble coping with those emotions. And I was having trouble yeah. turning those emotions over to God and saying, Lord, take this from me. I was hanging on to it. It was poisoning me and I was drinking again. Um, Fortunately, you know, I went went back to twelve step, um, and I was able to right the ship. So I've been I've been sober now for twenty seven years. Wow! But that wow. that period of time in my mother's Alzheimer's, when I began to drink again, and began to suffer all the emotional and spiritual decay that comes from that, um, yeah. you know, it really it really it told me how vulnerable I was and how much I needed, you know, my faith to live a day at a time. And, and, and not mm-hmm. just with my drinking, but with my mother's illness and with my own fears that when I saw her in decline, I began thinking, is that gonna happen to me? It's a terrible thought when somebody mm-hmm. else is suffering and you worry about yourself, but yeah. I did. And I had to accept wow. that, I had to own that, you know, because I'm a mm-hmm. human being and not all my emotions are good ones and not all my feelings are noble, but they're there, they're me, they're real, they're what, it's how God has made me. You know, how, how can I, you know, hate that? So I stopped hating myself. <laughs> 